This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Yo, Clock Dodgers, listen. I need you guys to get no halftime right now. I don't care if you got Android. I don't care if you got iPhone. I have a promo code for you right now to get $10 instantly. C-L-O-C-K at sign up and you get $10 to challenge whoever you want. You can challenge me. You can challenge your friends. You can challenge your family. Speaking of friends and family, get them on no halftime. Get them on no halftime. Give them the promo code and let them get $10 too. Matter of fact, you know what? I like helping everybody out. So how about you email No Halftime, tell them you left them a review, and they'll actually give you a No Halftime t-shirt. So now you're getting $10 and a t-shirt. Seriously, you can't lose. Player versus player, daily fantasy sports, quit that team versus team stuff. This is player versus player. It's the new age, baby. Let's make it happen. Clock Dodgers, No Halftime. Let's go. Make it happen now. Play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. You play to win the game. I mean, listen, we talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. We talking about practice. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. You are now locked in to the Clock Dodgers Podcast. Clock Dodgers Podcast. Okay, what's up, my fellow Clock Dodgers? We are back. I am your host, Neil. Uh, I hope you guys are having a great day today. Being This is May 7th, 2016 for me. Uh, however, it may not be that day for you, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, I am extremely glad that you guys could join me today on episode 21 of the Clock Dodgers podcast. My guest today is Ian McLaughlin, a man who knows more about your brain probably than you do. Um, he is a PhD student in neuroscience at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, he's an incredibly smart dude who has his own fantastic podcast um, called Wired to be Weird, which if you listen to that, you'll feel a thousand times smarter after an episode. Um, <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter and Periscope. I believe it's underscore Anthropoid, if I'm correct. Yep, that's right. Okay, good. And which I, I highly recommend that as well, because that's actually where I discovered Ian is Periscope, um, where he answers you know tons of questions from everybody about the brain and society and all kinds of cool stuff. So um, that's you know why I wanted him on here. So how are you doing today, Ian? I'm doing good, Neil. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. So um, <laughs> when, I, when I hit you up and asked you if you would come on the podcast um, and have a conversation with me, you did respond back saying you would and asked kind of like what we would talk about. Um, well, you know, little did you know I was already had a bunch of questions basically. <laughs> um, so I've been watching your scopes, like I mentioned earlier, um, for, for a while now. And, um, you know, you answer a ton of questions on there, which is great, but it's also kind of, you know, shorter responses. It's hard to have a real conversation or to keep going on one topic. So um, I thought it'd be cool to have you on. And I've been listening to your podcast, which has been super interesting. Um, there's not a lot of podcasts out there like that, you know, that discuss the things that you do. So, um, you know, I'm excited to have you on here and have a kind of a chance to pick your brain, as they say. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, sounds good. All right, good. So, um, so you, you specialize in neuroscience, right? Do you want to kind of give everyone a background really fast, really, just so they kind of know where you're coming from? Sure. Yeah. So, so I am. Uh, I'm in the PhD program in neuroscience, as you said, at the University of Pennsylvania, um, and my project focuses on trying to understand which circuits. And when I say circuits, I mean which neurons, clusters of neurons that are communicating with other clusters of neurons elsewhere in the brain. Which circuits in the brain are responsible for generating addiction as well as anxiety independently of addiction um, with the ultimate goal of when when we figure that out, once we map out the circuitry of anxiety and addiction, we can design drugs that are considerably more effective than the drugs that we have available today, which really aren't that effective. Um, They're helpful, but they're not that effective. Right. So in a nutshell, that's who I am. (laughs) That's that's very cool. I mean, it sounds like you know a whole lot more than me, and that's why you're here. (laughs) So, (laughs) so um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I I understand that you know that you're kind of what you focus on, but on your you know on the scopes, you you talk about everything though. You know, there's no um, you don't just talk about one thing. You kind of whatever people throw at you, you kind of just at least give it a shot. So um, on on the podcast, we tend to cover a lot of you know sports topics, as you noticed. Um, So I felt it only made sense for us to kind of jump into one of the more highly um, talked about or debated um, subjects in, in sports right now, which is, you know, brain trauma and CTE and things like that. Um, yeah. So as I understand, you know, as I understand, you're not, <clears throat> excuse me, a uh, physician, um, but being that you are tra- trained as a scientist and dealing with, you know, the brain and, and stuff like that, I thought it would be interesting just to kind of get your thoughts on it. Um, so have you done any research or work or anything in, in relation to brain trauma or CTE or anything like that? Yeah, so so um, like you know, we said my my area of specialty is, is anxiety and addiction. Um, but part of the benefits of me uh, being active on Periscope and Twitter and um, and then doing the podcast is that to really be an effective scientist these days, you got to be a generalist. If you if you're going to be creative and try and discover new relationships between disorders that we thought used to be completely distinct, mm-hmm. you really have to know broad information about the brain. And so as time has gone on. Scientists have basically realized that um, concussions and traumatic brain injuries in general um, over the long term are associated with increased levels of anxiety and depression, uh, which is, you know, very relevant to what I study, as well as an increased risk of addiction and other sort of psychiatric illnesses. Um, So even before I jumped into, you know, communicating neuroscience, um, this was something I looked into but uh, but but yeah. So so I've I've done a bit of a literature review. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. So, um. Well. So obviously, you know, concussions are. I, I don't. I don't know. I guess you could say they're kind of common. I mean, it's not just athletes. Obviously, I think probably everybody at some point or another has either had a concussion or um, knows someone who has or, or whatever the case may be. So it's not that it's something that's rare. But um, you know, in sports, it's kind of a big topic right now. Like you said, with you know the the long lasting effects of what it what happens later. So do do you think taking I mean, do you think that we're taking brain trauma um, caused by sports too lightly at the moment? Do you think it's even more bigger of a deal than we think it is? Or do you think it's a fair amount of attention that's being brought on it right now? Well, so it's great to see more attention um, placed uh, on concussions and, and sort of traumatic brain injuries. But but you're right. It is way more common than I expected. So, so it turns out that 22.4% of students between 7th and 12th grade have uh, reported a history of a traumatic brain injury. And one, between 1.6 and 3.8 million sports-related traumatic brain injuries occur in the United States alone every single year. Wow. And one in, um, in, in 220 pediatric patients, so you know, young patients, in emergency departments are diagnosed with a concussion, and 30 to 50% of those 
are from sports. Wow. So, I mean, and, and so, you know, we, we talk about um, traumatic brain injury. Right now, the conversation sort of revolves around professional athletes, particularly in the NFL. Um, but, you know, the reality is that kids are getting concussions as well. Um, and it turns out that children's brains are actually more vulnerable to concussions than, um, than adults. And, and, like, from personal experience, I had probably two, at least one concussion uh, playing football when I was in high school. I have no business playing football. If anybody's seen me, <laughs> I'm not a big guy. And I was playing fullback and running back and cornerback wow. <laughs> because of a small team. Uh, uh, you know, I'd alternate between running back and fullback. And, uh, yeah, I just got clotheslined twice because we had a terrible offensive line. And, you know, th- this was only a couple years ago. And, you know, the, the perspective back then was, you know, win at all costs and just walk it off. You know, if you can still walk, if you can still see straight, you should be able to, you know, fight for the team. And that is just totally counterproductive and, and the wrong perspective to take when it comes to children. Um, so I think, you know, it's great to see some attention um, for adults and professional athletes. But I think the, the lion's share of the attention should really be given towards children and, and you know, child athletes. So that's what I was going to actually, it kind of leads me right into my next point. I was going to ask you if, if you are, you know, obviously people listening have kids or if you had kids, um, and I don't want to make it like all doom and gloom, but <laughs> would, would you feel comfortable, you know, having your kids in sports or, or, you know, having family members, kids in sports, knowing, you know, that this looms kind of out there? Are you still okay with it? Or is it something that we should really, you know, avoid with our, with our children? Right. I mean, you know, so this is clearly a very personal decision. Right. Um, and, uh, and I do plan on having kids. Um, but um, the reality is, you know, I just know that my genetics are not the genetics of a professional football player, <laughs> you know. Um, and and it, it does turn out that there are certain sports that seem to be statistically uh, or, or seem to be associated with higher statistic, statistical chances of getting a traumatic brain injury or concussion. And so for boys, for example, this is football and hockey and lacrosse and wrestling. And then for girls, um, which, you know, oftentimes don't get enough attention, it's soccer, lacrosse, hockey, field hockey, and then also basketball. Um, and, and, it, and also the, the rates of concussions are higher in games than in practices. Wow. So, um, and, and, you know, I loved playing football. It's a lot of fun to play. I don't love watching it so much, but I love playing it. Right, uh, and I camaraderie are, and everything. Exactly. There are good sort of childhood lessons to be gained from participating in team sports, but there's just no way that I'm ever going to let my kids play uh, football or, or hockey, you know, despite the fact that they're so fun. So, I mean, not on a sort of, you know, official competitive level. If they want to play with their friends, you know, you know, kids can take risks. But when it comes to games, it's just the, t- the statistics don't favor my genetics <laughs> right, right. Uh, in playing football. And so you keep saying, you know, you keep mentioning your genetics and stuff. Um, how, how important, I think that's something that probably doesn't get mentioned a lot. How important does that play a part in brain trauma and everything? Is that a, is that a big deal? You know, that's an interesting question. And it's not really one that's been explored very thoroughly. This is really a blossoming field of research where now people are really devoting their, their careers to understanding traumatic brain injury. Um, but when I say genetics, I mean, like, I'm just, I'm not a big guy. I'm not really a muscular guy. Right. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I, I can run pretty fast, but, you know, size, you know, the size of the opposition really plays a big role. Uh, you know, there's only so much you can do to somebody who's, you know, a foot taller than you and 100 pounds heavier. Right, right. Absolutely. So for, for those who don't know, like, what would be an instance or an example of brain trauma? Like, what is actually happening to your brain in that moment? Yeah, good, good question. (laughs) So, so, um, a concussion is is really kind of simple, actually. It's just a blow, uh, to the head or the body, uh, that results in significant movement of the brain. 
And what that movement does is it temporarily disrupts uh, metabolic and, and neurotransmission. Um, and so, uh, and so, you know, oftentimes people think it's just, you have to hit your head on something right. to get a concussion, but that's actually not the case. If you're, let's just take football as an example, if you're tackled and you know, they don't tackle your head, just the process of, of being tackled, moving really, really rapidly can result in a concussion. Wow. Yeah. See, that's, that's what I had heard. I forget. I'm trying to think of where I heard it, but I did hear something like that. So could something like even like a whiplash cause a concussion technically? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So, so you can get a concussion like water skiing or wakeboarding, which I, you know, I also did. And, you know, um, so, so definitely it, it's the kind of thing where, you know, in, you know, to, to talk about, you know, parents letting their kids play football, th this is a personal decision. Um, and, um, and so, but, but I think it's really important that everybody have all of the information at their disposal. Um, you know, it's not just, if you get hit in the head, you're going to get concussion. Right. It's, it's more diverse than that. And also, um, when it comes to like helmets, um, I, I think that's also an interesting aspect to this conversation because they really afford you a false sense of security. Because you know, as we're saying, right, it doesn't. It's not just a blow to the head that results in concussion. Just rapid acceleration mm -hmm. can result in a concussion, and for that, helmets have no benefit. Um, so, yeah. so, so is there anything, you know, in, especially, you know, again, speaking about sports like football and stuff, is there anything that you think could be made equipment wise that could support this better? Like, do you think, I mean, obviously that's going to be a target, you know, for, for equipment makers and things like that is to look for something that's more safe. But do, do you think there's ever going to be something that's really, you know, bulletproof in that sense? Or is it kind of, we're always going to be kind of rolling the dice really? Yeah. I mean, so, so things have definitely improved, right? So I, I did a, a short, um, periscope broadcast on concussions and like just looking at the history of football like it, it was like 1939 when the ncaa ncaa uh, mandated helmet use at the collegiate level i mean that's not that long ago no. you know and then it, it was 1943 when the nfl followed suit and so it's like you know things have definitely improved over the past half century um but but uh, another reality which was very surprising to me is that some of the most popular helmets that are used, um, I think, at, at the high school level, um, I'm not so sure about the, the professional level, but um, they rank among the worst for protecting against focal head, you know, tra traumatic brain injury. So, so in other words, those blows to the head. Um, th it just turns out that we're not necessarily utilizing the best technology available to protect the, the brains of our children. Right. So there is some room for improvement there. But at a certain point, there's nothing you can really do. You know, the human brain is only capable of enduring so much acceleration before you get a concussion. Okay, gotcha. Now, now you did mention how, you know, with, with kids and youth sports, um, there, there's a big issue there. And you did mention that children are more susceptible um, to the brain injuries and everything. Is it something where if we didn't do it as kids and then we started as an adult, that it would be a, a better, you know, would we be better off that way? Or is it still, even if you have brain trauma as an adult, it's still kind of, you know, going to cause issues later? Right. I mean, you know, that it's, that's an interesting question. Um, and I, I don't really have a, a perfect answer for you. Um, but, uh, I, you know, the reality is a, a traumatic brain injury as an adult is also associated with, you know, a lot of the problems that we're beginning to see in professional athletes. And so, you know, we, it's tough to distinguish, you know, a lot of those professional athletes right. certainly started playing as children. And so right. it could have just been an accumulation of damage. Right. Um, but, you know, I, if if I were to try and convince my high school football coach that you know maybe we should just start after college, <laughs> he'd be like, uh, "You're crazy." Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly, and and that's why I kind of wanted to you know see where you where you went with it as far as you know letting your allowing your you know your kids to do it at some point and whatnot because although you know we don't want to live in a bubble and, and stuff like that, it, what's the point of living if you're not actually gonna live? But I just wanted to kind of you know see your viewpoint on it, being that you kind of live this stuff, um, and, and obviously you're you're saying that it, it is definitely worth you know discussing looking into and being aware of it um yeah it's 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 the kind of thing where i think those lessons of camaraderie and you know pushing through what you think your limitations are and learning to work on a team all of those things are very very important and i'm i I, i'm glad i learned them um but i think there are other sports other mediums uh by which you can learn those lessons and you know just gambling and there's no way to predict just gambling the the potential future future health of my children, it's just not worth it. Um, yeah. you know, he or she can learn those lessons elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's definitely scary, you know, now that we're, you know, really getting into this, um, you know, the whole field of brain trauma and CT, and like you said, more research is being done on it. Um, it's, it's even more scary when you think about stuff like MMA, which mm-hmm. is kind of in, in its infant stage, right? I mean, it's not, it hasn't been around, you know, around for as long as other stuff like baseball and football. So I only can imagine that, you know, we're going to see a lot of, you know, mixed martial arts athletes, like UFC athletes, um, dealing with these issues later down the line yeah. too, right? Because no, we don't and, even talk about them when we talk about, you know, brain injuries as much. Absolutely. And that, that isn't actually, I think that's almost a, a more interesting conversation. Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, MMA certainly has been prominent for, for nearly as long as those like old institutions of, you know, American culture. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I actually love watching MMA. I, I think it's, it's kind of beautiful, particularly when you, not, not so much the strikers, but, you know, when you see the Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and the wrestlers, it's just a game of chess. Right. Um, but when it, you know, the reality is you, most of these fighters are punching. And, and when you're starting, when you're looking at a, a knockout in progress, um, and, you know, this is also true for boxing, of course, what you're doing is watching an accumulation of brain trauma beyond a certain threshold. Like how much punishment can you take versus how much punishment can you deliver? Right. And, and that punishment is going directly to the brain. Um, so, you know, Understanding that does take a bit of the romance out of it for me. Um, and then also, you know, l- like we were saying, the helmet kind of might afford a false sense of security for football players. The gloves that, that certainly boxers wear, those big, big, you know, cushiony gloves, mm-hmm. as well as the gloves that, that um, MMA fighters wear that kind of reinforce the wrist and pad the knuckles, they really enable somebody to deliver much, much more punishment or damage to their opponent's head than they could otherwise. I mean, you know, I, I've never punched someone in the skull, <laughs> and I, I never have to. But um, you know, it's just the reality that your bones can only take so much force, and right. so you can really only punch. The skull is super hard, and so you can really only punch someone in the head so many times before you start breaking your wrist, you start you know injuring your hands. But if you have a glove on there, then you can hit somebody in the head way more regularly. Right. Now, it'll be much uglier, right? You're going to start. You would see a lot more blood, and it would just it just looks more brutal. But a lot of this conversation is pretty counterintuitive, you know. If, if we're if we're concerned about the long-term well-being of these athletes, then I think you know again we need to have a pragmatic and realistic conversation, you know, free of the sort of emotional associations of you know bare-knuckle boxing and, and that kind of stuff. And I don't have the answer here, right? Uh, 
But yeah, this is definitely going to be an emerging problem with with professional fighters. Yeah, and, and, and it needs to be talked about because, like you said, it almost feels like it gets swept under the rug a lot. Everyone doesn't want to talk about it. It's kind of like the elephant in the room. And, yeah. and 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 like you said, MMA. I'm a diehard you know fan of it. I love watching it. But whenever I see you know, there's instances where a guy will you know get knocked out, like where he kind of goes out. And then, you know, the guy will continue to hit him before they call the fight or whatever. And it almost like snaps him back into the fight again. That's and, right. And he gets pummeled and, and he continues to fight. And I, and I, I can only imagine how bad that is um, that, you know, your brain shut off and then shut back on and you're getting pummeled again. Like, I can only imagine, you know, what that's doing to someone's brain. And again, we watch it. We're like everyone going crazy about it. And we're not thinking about what's really happening to this guy, you know? Absolutely. Um, and, and by the way, another thing that um, I learned is that. Um, and, and it's exactly what's going on in the scenario you, you, you painted is that after you've had one concussion, there is a window of vulnerability after that, like, like immediately following that, where you are more likely to have another. Um, oh. so, so that's sort of why if you see like a boxer or an MMA fighter go down or, you know, go, go uh, lose, you know, footing, that's why they, they are much more likely to be knocked out after that. Okay, uh, so when, when a guy, when you when you see that happen, when a guy gets wobbly or it looks like okay, he lost all of his balance and everything at this point, is there already a concussion at that point? Are we pretty sure about that? Or yeah, pr- pretty pretty much. I okay. mean, you know, it's it, it's impossible to tell, really, you know, but but it's it, it's almost certain. <laughs> okay, and so now psychologically speaking, um, you know, we we've seen a lot of dark stuff happen with people who um have been in these sports who have had a lot of head injuries. Um, you know, like like you said, we've seen people become addicted to things. Um, we've seen you know um mood issues. We've actually seen people take their own life. And, you know, a lot of people attribute that to the brain trauma that the person, you know, had dealt with earlier in their life. Um, even some athletes who have killed themselves, I believe, you know, donate their brains to science saying, I know something is maybe not right here. Um, what do you have any idea what's actually causing that after the brain trauma? What causes you to become so depressed or that, you know, you want to take your own life? Um, I assume it's not just physical pain. I'm assuming something mentally is happening, right? Yeah, great question. Yeah. So there are um, a lot of longer term symptoms or you know what we would call persistent symptoms following a traumatic brain injury um, that I think a lot of people um, underestimate or, or, or fail to associate with the injury. So these are things like you know increased risk of suicide, as you said, uh, depression, um, confusion, fatigue, headaches certainly. So there is, there is a potential for pain. But then also just being more frustrated and irritable, um, having difficulty falling, falling asleep or just sleep disturbances in general. Um, and, and gait disturbances like, like you know, uh, discoordination or, or um, you know, poor, poor uh, motor um, control. Um, and, and so this doesn't happen in the majority of people that have a concussion, but in a non-trivial proportion of them, this does. And so when we're talking about what exactly is going on in the brain, it, it is failures on like all levels. I mean, it's, it's pretty startling. So, you know, we can go from, from the molecular, the very, very small level to the circuit global level. But so to start small, these are things like disrupting cellular membranes. Um, and so cellular membranes are sort of like the walls of your neurons that, that keep things that can't be inside of neurons, uh, uh, you know, that might damage neurons, that keep them out. Okay. And so these cellular membranes can actually rupture. Um, and so that causes just utter chaos inside of neurons. Um, so there's that, but then there's also impaired metabolism. So your brain requires a ton of glucose and, and oxygen. Your, your neurons are some of the most metabolically active cells in your body, believe it or not. Um, and so a traumatic brain injury can impair that, which is quite problematic. Um, and then we go a little bit broader. 
you can have cytoskeletal uh, injury and, and axonal in injury. And so axons um, are the things that, the cables that connect neurons, that enable neurons to communicate with one another. Um, and, uh, and so a concussion, basically what a concussion is doing, um, if you've ever seen a video uh, of a brain, um, usually you've seen uh, one that has been fixed with something like formaldehyde. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the that, that sort of paints a, an inaccurate picture. The reality is the brain is very fragile and, and it's almost more similar to like uh, the yolk in an egg. Oh, wow. And so when you get hit, there's a pressure wave, like, like the ripples on a pond if you throw you know, a pebble into a pond, um, that goes through the brain. And so these axons can be pretty long that connect neurons. And so they can physically break. And that will enable a bunch of things, again, from the outsides of neurons to enter the insides and then potentially kill neurons. Um, but also, it just impairs circuit communication. Um, and so, depending on, on you know, the severity of the injury, which can be quite variable, depending on you know, how it happened, um, you can have permanent damage or you can have damage from which you can recover. Um, but, but essentially, that's what's going on. Wow. And, and, and is, the brain, um, is the brain one of those things that doesn't repair itself well in the human body or, or does it? it? It depends on what you're, what you're comparing it to. Mm -hmm. um, the brain is... You know, one of the most amazing things about the brain is that it's capable, it, it, it has this, this characteristic called neuroplasticity. And so those axons that I was just talking about that connect neurons, those can regrow, they can connect with new neurons. Um, and so in that respect, in terms of connectivity, uh, and, and, you know, your brain can grow many new synapses, so new neurons can talk to each other. And that, that is part of the reason for why we can learn new things. Right. Um, but... When it comes to the neurons themselves, you know, we have 86, about 86 billion neurons. And for the vast majority of the case, those neurons don't regenerate. So, you know, you're constantly making new skin cells, new muscle cells. Um, and, uh, you know, it, you're, you're growing new cells in most parts of your body. But in your brain, basically, those 86 billion neurons are what you got. And when okay. you lose them, most of the time they don't grow back. So, so, again, it totally depends on where the injury occurred and how severe it is. Interesting. And, and and before I leave the whole um, topic of, of brain trauma and everything, um, I, I was just curious, and it doesn't have to do it, I guess, I don't know, I don't think it's necessarily brain trauma, but we were talking mixed martial arts. Um, when, when someone is put to sleep, quote unquote, um, where they go out, is there, um, is there, I know, I know, I know they pretty much wake right back up pretty, you know, pretty quickly and everything. Is there a, is there a negative effect after that though, down the line, do we know of? Cause that's, that's basically cutting off oxygen to the brain, right? For, well, I mean, um, so, so, so generally, I mean, you know, usually they're still breathing. Right. Um, so, so basically, you know, um, what has happened when somebody has gone unconscious is that the connections between their higher level cerebral structures, the, you know, the parts of our brain that are, that are associated with kind of richness of consciousness, the, those connections between that and then the brainstem, which have all the structures that are responsible for like maintaining breath and encoding your, your rest, your, your um, cardiac rhythm and these kinds of things. The, connect, the communication between those two parts of the brain has been severed temporarily. Okay. So, so long as you don't have any damage to those brainstem structures, you'll survive. Um, but, you know, in terms of problems after having that happen, I mean, we're talking about them, right? This is the problems of, of the symptoms of concussion. So you know, it's the same thing? Same thing. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Interesting. 
Okay. Well, man, that's a lot of stuff to take in there on, on brain trauma. <laughs> and, I, and I knew you'd be perfect for it, even though, like, I know you had mentioned you're not a physician and everything, but I still felt that, you know, you would have a ton to, to, to bring to that. Um, one of the other things that, you know, you talk about a lot on your podcast, on the scopes, and a lot of people, of course, ask you about is, um, you know, drugs and stuff like weed and marijuana um, and how it affects your brain and, and addiction and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I've, I've heard you kind of say the positives and negatives of these things. Um, but if, if you, I'm just curious because I don't, just for the listeners and everything, if you had to lean one way, um, it's a big discussion now whether it should be legal for medical reasons or just for regular use and all that kind of stuff. Which way do you lean on all this? Are you pro, you know, the use of marijuana or are you against it as far as the regular average person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, so this is obviously a, a personal decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I mean, from my perspective, um, cannabis needs to be legalized and it needs to be regulated the same way that we regulate alcohol. Um, you know, and, and there's a var- there are differences in terms of the pharmacology of those two drugs. Right. But if we were to just compare apples to apples, if we were to just say, you know, how toxic is alcohol, how toxic is nicotine, and how toxic is cannabis, cannabis is comparatively less toxic. It does not kill neurons. It's not as addictive. It is addictive, but it's not as addictive and the withdrawals are not dangerous. Um, now, so, so, so on, you know, if, if we're going to legalize alcohol and let people make their own decisions when it comes to alcohol when they're adults, then the same must be true if, if we're being rational about cannabis. Right. Now, that said, um, I do think that advocate, advocates tend to exaggerate how benign cannabis is. Um, it is just true that there is a certain population uh, um, for whom cannabis can be a risky uh, drug. Um, Basically, these are people who have inherited the genetic architecture or the neuronal architecture that makes their brain have a relationship with this drug that's unique. Um, It can exacerbate or precipitate psychotic events. Um, It can precipitate schizophrenia. Um, And so it's, you know, it's important to acknowledge that these people exist, um, but they are the minority. So most people, when they smoke pot or, or, you know, whatever they do, vaporize it, eat it, most people, they just have their experience and then they're done with it. Right. Um, but there is a population of people uh, that need to be informed. You know, if they have a family history of schizophrenia or depression or psychotic experiences in general, it's probably not the best decision. But that said, most drugs probably aren't the best right. decision. But it just so happens that we know a bit more about the genetics underlying this relationship when it comes to cannabis that, than other drugs. Right. Yeah, and, and I guess that's what's always kind of bothered me with the argument is, um, you know, like you said, you could, you could walk out of your house today anywhere in the United States as long as you're of age and, you know, walk into Walmart or anywhere and buy alcohol, um, you know, pills, you know, all kinds of stuff. You can even buy guns. You know what I mean? You could walk in these places and these things can immediately harm somebody, you know, as soon as you walk out of it, technically speaking. Um, so I, I find it, I always find that the argument strange, you know, when we do wh- wh- whether you agree with the positives and the negatives and stuff of, of marijuana. I always find it interesting that you know cigarettes, all these things are all legal and and, and it's normal to society at this point when you use or buy those things. Um, so it's always weird to me when these things, you know, marijuana gets rejected and you know in all these states and everything. It's just it's funny to me. And do you? I was kind of curious. What do you think that is? I mean, do do you think it's the old school, you know, anti? you know, weed propaganda and kind of the outside money influence that's really holding it back? Or do you think, you know, we're just not educated enough on it? What do you think is actually the the biggest enemy to that? Well, you know, of course, I can't read the minds right. of, of, of prohibitionists, right? But I mean, I think all I can say is that there is no physiological justification for banning cannabis 
while um, pre uh, permitting the use of alcohol. It just it's it's not logically uh, coherent. Right. <laughs> um, so so you know may, there's political reasons, there's sociological reasons that that almost certainly explain it much better than physiological. Reasons. Right. And, and you did say people can become addicted to it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it is comparatively less addictive, right, than pretty much any drug that people do recreationally. Um, but if basically anything somebody does because it feels good or it's fun can be addictive, right? So all of these drugs, they have their own unique activities. But if somebody's doing a drug because it feels good, it's fun, at a minimum, it has one action, almost certainly, in common with basically all other drugs that people do for fun. And that is eliciting increases in dopamine levels in a circuit in the brain called the mesocortical limbic dopaminergic circuit. And so this is a circuit that's involved in a wide variety of things. Sometimes people uh, um, mischaracterize it as the reward circuit. It's not really reward. Right. Um, but it is associated with positive affect or positive emotion. And so, yeah, I mean, cannabis, part of the reason that people like doing it is that it increases signaling in this circuit. And so, you know, you, you, if you use it chronically, your brain will become used to the presence of this drug. And as a result, you know, it will undergo neuroplastic changes, right? Just like it'll do the same with, with alcohol or nicotine or heroin. It just so happens to be the case that, that cannabis, the pharmacology of cannabis, just doesn't induce so severe an adaptation. And so as a result, when you take cannabis out of the brain, when you stop smoking weed, the withdrawal syndrome isn't nearly as severe as the withdrawal from alcohol or heroin, but there is a withdrawal syndrome. So it's like, again, you know, the advocates, I understand their perspective, right? It's like, how could you legalize alcohol and, and oxycodone and, and not legalize cannabis? Right. You know, it, it, but, and they'll say, you know, if you're, if, if you're comparing addiction, you know, those drugs are addictive. The, this is not an addictive drug, but it is. It, it is associated with some level of addiction. Um, so, I, so, so I don't know if, if, if it's been done or not, but what about, okay, is, is sugar more addicting than marijuana? Well, or? so yeah, that, that actually is kind of a, di a different conversation. Um, so, you know, it, it's helpful to define addiction. Addiction is, depending on, on the person uh, that you're talking to, addiction it can be different things. But um, I tend to prefer the, the clinical definition of addiction. I just think it's more helpful to frame that word. And so basically, if you talk to a, an addiction medicine specialist, they'll say that addiction is the continued use of a drug or the continued engagement of a behavior in the face of predictable negative consequences. Okay. So, you know, you keep buying bags of meth despite the fact that you can't afford your rent okay. right? or you can't, you know, send your kid to school. Now, when it comes to something like sugar, um, you know, if you continue eating donuts and candy and ice cream, despite the fact that you have type two diabetes and it is just destroying nervous system tissue, then yeah, you probably, you could call that a sugar addiction. But, um, but you know, I, I think it's, it's a, a category error to suggest that, that because we all love sugar and some people have, have a problem, you know, controlling their, their intake of sugar, right. it, it's a category error to suggest, well, then it's likely more addictive. It's just a different kind of addiction. Gotcha. And, and so from, from, from what you've researched and what you've worked, you know, a lot of people always say, oh, well, one of the bad things about, you know, marijuana is it opens you up to other things. Is that psychologically true? Is it really a gateway drug as far as that, you know, or is that just something people make up as well? You know, I mean, I think the gateway drug hypothesis, I mean, th there are scientists that still consider it to be a valuable model. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if we were to really think about what the real gateway drugs are, they're alcohol and nicotine. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, and so, it, yeah, I mean, the, the idea that, that, you know, if you smoke a cigarette and have a drink, um, that that is a different kind of gateway than if you smoke pot. I, I think it's, it's much more 
sociological, right? The government is telling you that cannabis is this evil drug. It's going to drive you crazy. It's super addictive. You smoke it and you find out, for the most part, most people find out that that's not true at all. So maybe what they're saying about heroin and, and you know, methamphetamine, maybe they're wrong about that too. So I, I think it's much more of a sociological effect than a pharmacological effect. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And, and one other thing I was kind of curious with, um, you, like you had mentioned some, you know, people, you know, smoke weed or, or eat it or whatever, and, and it's to feel good and, and to relax them or whatever the case may be. Um, and then you also have, you know, prescription type drugs like Adderall and stuff that help you, you know, I guess they say it keeps you awake, keeps you going, kind of like a speed almost. Um, now, you know, there's, there's tons of stuff on the market like that, um, that, you know, supposedly do these things to you. And I, and I, and I think I heard it on the Joe Rogan experience or somewhere. They mentioned that, um, someone said that there's, no such thing as like a biologically free lunch. Um, do, is, is that true that, you know, any, anything you take that kind of, you know, gives you this feeling or, or does something good for you that it's also taking something from you in a sense? You, you know, it's funny. I think, so I used to listen to, to Loveline way back in the day when mm-hmm. Adam Carolla, if you remember who he is. Yes. Uh, he's a big podcaster, I guess you, you would know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Drew Pinsky, Dr. Uh-huh. Drew. You know, they, they had this old radio show. And I'm pretty sure Drew Pinsky was the first person to say there's no free lunch. Okay, so you might have said that then. Yeah, I, I think. And people have repeated it. Um, but, but in any case, you know, when it comes to recreational drugs, but also, you know, some therapeutic drugs, some, some medicines, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be some physiological adaptive response to this exogenous or this externally generated molecule. And so, yes, there's no free lunch, but the, the cost of those lunches can be different depending on the drug. So, like, the cost of that lunch when you smoke meth is way higher <laughs> than when you smoke weed, you know. But, right. but yeah, it, it's true. If you're doing something that's for fun, then, yeah, you're, you're, your body's adapting to that. Okay, gotcha. So um, the, the other thing that I wanted to kind of go into, um, which you also speak about, again, I keep going back to your periscopes and your podcasts are great. So I keep wanting people to go to those. But, um, you know, psychedelics and things like that, um, you know, DMT, mushrooms, um, all, all those kind of things. Um, I, I've heard people mention again on podcasts and articles and, and whatnot that, um, you know, using psychedelics and, you know, could or would, um, you know, change you forever mentally or psychologically, however you want to look at it. Um, you know, they mentioned that the experience with them could actually, you know, alter your mindset or, you know, your consciousness or kind of humble you and things like this. Um, are, are these things that people talk about, you know, when, when using these things, I mean, are they, is it just an imagination thing? Is it just a release of something or is it actually something really happening that is actually changing you from that point forward? You know, that's a really interesting topic. Um, so it, it's, I think oftentimes psychedelics, particularly DMT and ayahuasca, um, but, but, you know, all, all psychedelics, they tend to take on the, this level of, of significance, right, of profundity, because they, you know, the realizations that you have when you're under the influence of those drugs are more important than those that you might have when you're drunk or when you're stoned or, or whatever it might right. be. Um, and, and so, you know, insofar as you know, moments of insight, um, you know, certain thoughts, certain realizations can change your life, then yeah, I mean, those thoughts that you have under the influence of those drugs can, can change your life. Sure. Um, it, you know, just because it, it was a drug that got your brain there doesn't mean that, that it's trivial and it's, it's fleeting and it's going to disappear after the effects of the drug. But, um, I, I do think it, it's important to note Right, that that the feeling of profundity. Your brain is constantly evaluating its own thoughts as well as external stimuli for how important they are. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's it's very important that we can remember things, but it's also almost equally almost more important that we can forget things as well. 
And so, you know, you're, you're constantly subconsciously um, determining whether or not this thought you just had was important, was worth remembering, um, or this experience you had. And so some of these drugs almost certainly alter that process, alter the process of, is this an important realization or is it not? It's a feeling. It's a feeling like, like happiness or like humor, you know? Right. Um, and so I, I think there, there is a bit of an effect here where, yeah, I mean, you can definitely have life-changing realization when you're under the influence of any drug. Um, but one of the effects of these drugs is to make everything seem very profound. <laughs> and so, um, so I, you know, I, I think you, you got to be kind of choosy when it comes to how important these experiences are. Like, like you know, to take a more concrete example, um, you know, you hear writers and comedians when they're stoned, um, they will write something down, some joke, some premise down. And then the next day when they're sober, they look at it and they're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever written. Right. Right. But sometimes they have really brilliant realizations. So it's not that the, the, the drug determines whether or not the thought process is valuable or profound. It's the thought process itself. Okay. And, and, and you kind of brought up something there for me. So, you know, you, you do hear writers, like you said, and, and comedians and, and people of those sorts um, say, you know, oh, nicotine or, or, or smoking marijuana, it, it makes me more creative. It opens up things. It, is it really doing that, though? Or is that just kind of a mindset that they've kind of gotten themselves into to believe that? So when they do it, it actually does, you know, expand something for them. Is that, is that really happening, you know, mentally and, and psychologically? Or is that just something they are making themselves, you know, believe at that point? Yeah, another really, really interesting topic. Creativity in general is a very interesting topic. It's an area of certainly ongoing research. We don't thoroughly understand it. Um, but uh, but so, so what these drugs are doing, right, to be very broad, is that they are just altering the way circuits in your brain handle information. So it, it's sort of, of like, you know, if you can imagine your, your, this, your mind as being this very long soundboard, like a DJ would use, mm-hmm. where there's a bunch of different knobs, right, that control the volumes of different notes, different, different tracks, what a drug is doing is just altering, on a very broad level, a bunch of those knobs. And so the, the song of your mind, right, the, the song that your mind is generating, just is changed. And so, um, you know, again, because these drugs um, induce certain cognitive states that are totally different than you would ever be able to achieve sober, it doesn't mean that the, that the ideas that you've had there are not valuable, are less valuable, because you're in an altered state of consciousness. It's just like, you know, you have ideas when you're sober. Some of them are creative. Some of them aren't. Same goes for, for drugs. But um, there is an interesting element to this. Um, one of the, the effects of these drugs oftentimes is to alter the activity of a certain circuit called the default mode network. Um, and, and, you know, to, to sum up a, a lot of research, um, there is an interplay between a process of, of generating new ideas. We call that, that blind, uh, uh, blind variation. Mm-hmm. And then um, a process called selective retention where your brain focuses in on a certain thought or a certain association because it deems it it's significant and then maintains that thought for an extended period of time. It does seem to be the case that a, a lot of different drugs from alcohol to cannabis to psychedelics alter that process in such a way as to perhaps promote your brain's sensitivity to new ideas. Now, if those new ideas are, are profound or, or useful, that's a totally different conversation. But, um, but it, it does seem to promote a sort of you know, I hesitate to call it a creative state, but but an altered state that's associated with with maybe generating more ideas. <laughs> so there is something there for sure. 
Yeah, um, I, I think there probably is. Okay. Um, so, um, like you mentioned, ayahuasca is one of those things that, again, I, I listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, I read a bunch on the internet, all these kind of things. And um, you, you hear people saying how um, stuff like that, or um, even like peyote, I guess, for people who have drug addictions, um, that these kind of things have changed their life. You know, every, everything is different. They've seen all these things. And um, I, I was just curious, do you personally or does science back, um, you know, the notion that, you know, positive things can come from these experiences? experiences um obviously a lot of people go through life never ever you know trying anything like that um so is is there an actual you know fact or actual science backing of any sort that shows that psychedelics can really help people or are these just excuses for us to take these mental trips and you know (laughs) have this fun ride that people are taking well so you know addiction medicine is a very contentious uh domain you know there are people that argue that you cannot be cured of addiction if you are taking in any other substance and right. and then there are other you know specialists who will argue to the contrary um, and and you know psychedelics and hallucinogens for decades have been among the most illegal drugs you know in existence uh, and so it, it's kind of been a recent development that scientists have been able to engage these these chemicals you know and, and explore any potential utility. Um, and so there are ongoing clinical trials um, evaluating the efficacy of things like, like ibogaine, which is, you know, a, a hallucinogenic plant native to Africa that induces um, like a 36 to 48 hour, you know, hallucinatory experience. Um, but it is associated with reduced cravings, um, what, what appears to be anti-addictive properties. Um, and so, you know, it, the, in my mind, you know, that's all very interesting and perhaps quite valuable. Um, but in my mind, if we can decouple the you know hallucinatory effects from some of the other things that these plants are doing, um, and you know we could get into that if you want, but like altering you know uh, receptor conformation and receptor trafficking, you know these very nitty gritty things that underlie addiction. If we can understand how these drugs are doing that, then we can really competently confront addiction on a level that's way more targeted, way more specific, and effective. Um, so, so, so are, are, you, are my, you saying to take out the psychedelic portion of the drug and make it so that you're just taking the properties that are actually stopping your addiction? I mean, I mean, in, in, okay. You know, in my mind, um, you know, if you want to have do a psychedelic and whatever, that's totally up to you. I, I don't think they should be as illegal as they are. Right. But, but I, I think that these psychedelics are sort of really interesting first steps to understanding how we might be able to more competently confront addiction. So, you know, we, we can study how it is that these psychedelics have been helpful for people and understand the, the, the molecular effects of these, of these drugs um, to then potentially um, reveal. And, and like, you know, a lab with, with whom we collaborate is, is doing this, Stanley Glick Lab. Uh, you know, he, he's investigating certain analogs of ibogaine to see if, you know, he can basically totally abolish cravings for nicotine and methamphetamine. And he's seeing some good, that lab and other labs are seeing some, some, good, um, some good results. Um, and so, yeah, so, so I think it, it's an interesting um, avenue to pursue to more effectively confront addiction. And and are we limited in pursuing that by the government? Do they limit what we can, you know, how far we can go into these things because they're considered so illegal and everything, or, or is that okay when you're doing, when it's for science work and testing and stuff like that? Um, I mean, you know, we are limited insofar as the DEA has to sign off on everything and that that's kind of a time consuming and laborious process. Um, you know, so for example, I, I'm in a lab that's that's been pretty well known for for decades now, uh, in the addiction you know uh, landscape. Right. And it took us a pretty long time to get clearance to to begin studying THC, which you know one of the the active um, agents of cannabis, tetrahydrocannabinol. 
Uh, and, and then the same goes for cocaine and morphine. And so, I mean, it's not impossible anymore, um, but it's, I, I certainly wouldn't call it easy. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, um, one of the things that you always hear, or, or, you know, I don't know if it's your parents trying to scare you off of, you know, doing these kind of things, um, but you always hear, oh, you know, you know, I have a cousin, Bob, who, you know, took some acid or took mushrooms and he never was the same. You know, he, he never came back from that trip. He's always been on it. Um, is, is that possible where you can get lost after, you know, experiencing one of these things where you become... You know, you always see that, oh, he's a kook. That guy wants to be on an acid trip still. You know, you always hear people say stuff like that. Um, sure. Is that is that possible, really, to, to take something like, you know, one of these, any any of these psychedelics, I guess? Is it possible to take one of those and actually, you know, be stuck in something like that? So so the word possible is a very important word in that question. Oh, yeah. So, yes, it is possible <laughs> for sure. Um, and, and, you know, just like, like we were saying for, for cannabis, there is definitely a subpopulation of people that are, are – prone to developing some kind of psychotic disorder um, that, you know, and, and these psychedelics, they induce these very volatile cognitive states. And so, yeah, I mean, probably with, in somebody who has a, a brain that, that's prone to these states, taking something like LSD or, or magic mushrooms or, or you know, mescaline in, in peyote, for example, uh, might be the, you know, the determining factor or, or might convert them from non-psychotic to psychotic. Um, but, but, you know, but that is not true. It seems to be the case that that's not true for the majority of people. But, but you know, another problem with interpreting the public health significance of psychedelics is that, you know, doing population level, like large, large um, uh, epidemiological or, you know, large studies with large sample sizes is very difficult when it comes to psychedelics, you know, for, for a variety of reasons. A lot of people don't want to admit that they take them to, right. you know, an educational institution right. like University of Pennsylvania, Right. And so, you know, to really have good answers, that's what we need. And so fortunately, we have some good studies, not great, but some good studies for cannabis. Um, but, you know, probably in, in the coming years, we will begin to see better, higher quality science when it comes to the public health consequences of psychedelics use. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much, you know, so much interesting stuff. And, and I know you're only scratching the surface of these things. Um, you know, like, like you said, there's so much, so much in depth uh, when it comes to addiction and, and, and THC and psychedelics and all kinds of stuff. And I just yeah. wanted to kind of, you know, scratch the surface with you here because I know there's so much stuff that you have. to. And, and again, I can't recommend enough, you know, for people to check out your periscopes where you kind of, you know, on, on that medium, it's kind of bang, bang, bang. You know, people just keep hitting you <laughs> with questions. And so you, that's the way you have to answer them. But you give a, you know, a lot of information there and it's always interesting. If I was, um, because I, I don't have anything else prepared as far as questions go, if I was to just give you the floor right now before we, you know, before we end our conversation, conversation here. Is there anything that, you know, you would want the listeners to either walk away with or to look more into or, or anything when it comes to, you know, stuff like neuroscience and the brain? I feel like um, not enough people maybe are interested in it. I feel like it's a it's a small, dedicated group, but, it, you know, they're, they're super into it, those people who are. But I feel like some people, because they don't think about it in your everyday life, you don't really... Um, tend to look into it or to educate yourself on it as much as you could. Um, and that's why, you know, I find your podcast and everything so interesting because, again, you know, you're, you're talking about stuff that a lot of people don't, you know, go into that water, I guess, to talk about. And so is there, when it comes to neuroscience or the brain, is there anything, any one thing that you would want to leave people with as far as um, to better, you know, knowledge, you know, gain knowledge on or to better, you know, think about for themselves or anything like that to, you know, kind of leave them with a message? Sure, yeah. Um, so, so, like as as you were saying, I, you know, I think neuroscience is is beginning to get a lot more attention because the brain is involved in everything that we do. You know, everything that you are, your ambitions and 
the people you love, the people you hate, your memories, your, your, your future goals, all of that emerges from the brain. Right. Right. And so we are continuing to understand things that My we dog's can in the learn. Here. <laughs> yeah, so I'll tell you. It's okay, though. And, and so, you know, like, like a great example of this is um, criminal, you know, criminal law. So, you know, for example, over eight in 10 people, <laughs> eight in 10 people incarcerated have been incarcerated because of something that happened um, uh, for which a, a substance was involved. So whether it's alcohol or cannabis or whatever it might have been. Right. But only 11% of them are receiving treatment for substance abuse. And so, you know, we are spending a ton of money criminalizing people for, you know, certain behaviors. And it's not, it's, we know that, that incarceration is criminogenic, right? Mm-hmm. We know that it actually exacerbates the problem. So, um, uh, you know, I, I think that given the fact that we're beginning to become a little bit more aware of, how we can more competently navigate, you know, criminal law, all of these kinds of things, education, you know, raising your kids, sports, all of these things. As we're beginning to, to learn more about the brain, we can make much better decisions when it comes to these things. And so, you know, um, part of the reason for why I do all this is because I am paid by tax dollars, your tax dollars and anybody that lives in the United States. Um, so you're paying for my research and right. my ability to eat. And, you know, I think there's a huge disconnection between what you are paying for and what you're receiving. Um, but, you know, th- and so I think people underestimate how much the research that my, you know, people that are much smarter than me, my colleagues are doing, the benefit, the social benefits. And so, you know, when you see like the NIH, National Institutes of Health, uh, which, which is what funds a lot of, of research in neuroscience, when you see that, you know, they're not getting a lot of funding, then what's happening there is that there are scientists like me, and, and this might be the truth for me too, that are going to have to leave the country and go elsewhere where governments are, are more willing to fund basic research. And so we're missing out on a lot of not only just understanding, you know, how amazing the human brain is, but also understanding, you know, should we be spending, you know, uh, uh, so little on, on helping people recover from addiction in prison? Um, you know, is that that beneficial? Right. So, so, you know, I, I just your, your tax dollars that you're investing in basic science research are extraordinarily valuable and they pay back in, you know, um, in multiples exponentially. And, um, and is there anything that, that, you know, the like you said, the taxpayers or the, or the people listening or anybody can do um, to, to support, you know, your, your efforts and everything? Is there anything we can do besides, obviously, like you said, they, their taxpayers are paying for it in a way, but is there anything that they can do on an individual basis or anything to support what you guys do? Yeah, so, so one of the things that I'm going to start working on is, is making it very abundantly clear when people are running for state level, you know, like, like you know, the state house, or, but, but also, you know, for Congress, for, for the legislatures in general, I want to make it totally clear what their um, perspective is on this. Because, you know, science, basic science research, biology, Alzheimer's, all, all of these things are totally bipartisan. You know, some of the most conservative and some of the most liberal people in this country both value this kind of research. For sure. But, but nobody, you know, very few people know what their state senator or what their, their you know, uh, U.S. senator feels, how they feel about um, basic science research. So I'm going to start working on that and, and making it clear. And so the best thing you can do is just do your best to, to try and see, you know, what does your state senator, what, what does he or she think about funding for, you know, basic neuroscience or ba- I should say basic uh, science research. 
Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, any, anything that you end up doing, you know, down the line, if there's anything we can do to kind of help it, you know, promote it or uh, anything like that, certainly, you know, let me know. And I'll certainly, you know, say it on here and Twitter and everywhere, everywhere else that I can. Um, so, you know, cause I, I definitely, you know, hear what you're saying as far as it's like, and that's why I asked you, you know, as far as it not getting the attention it deserves. And it would be unfortunate if, you know, it would have to go overseas or other places because, you know, for whatever reason, it's not getting the kind of support it, you know, it deserves here. Um, and that's why I wanted you on the show, um, you know, because, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, you should be heard by as many people as you can. Um, and although, like you said, there may, you feel maybe people are smarter than you or your colleagues know more than you or whatever it may be, or they've been in it longer than you. Um, I feel like, you know, you bring a great deal as far as, uh, you know, knowledge and, and stuff that you share and you're, and you maybe, maybe someone does know more than you, but you're, you seem very, you know, willing to share it. So, um, that's the important thing, you know? And so, um, I want to, you know, get as many people to hear it as they can. And so that's why, you know, the, the key thing to bringing you on and have this great discussion with you was, um, you're so willing to share it. So I want everyone to hear it too. <laughs> so thanks a lot, man. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. So I, I really appreciate you coming on. And, and if, you know, you, if you're willing to come on again in the future, I, I'd love to have you on. Um, again, I want to kind of just, uh, point everybody in your direction again to the different things that you're doing. Um, your podcast is Wired to be Weird, um, which they can find through your Twitter. That's where I found it. But I guess um, what's the actual website that they can, that they go to? So, so you can get it through my website, anthropoid.science, uh, uh, or you know you can get it through iTunes and Stitcher. Um, yeah, and let me know what you think. You know, if, if anybody's listening, I, I am totally open to feedback. So I did. You know, the most recent episode was on how and why we fall in love, why it is some people you know, cheat on their partners, why some people are able to stay together for a long time. But then before that, you know, somebody suggested uh, an episode on drugs uh, or an episode on Alzheimer's and dementia. So I'm learning a lot. And, and it's really fun when people suggest topics because, uh, you know, I, I want to give the information that people are interested uh, in, in having. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I just was listening to that one before we started recording the, uh, the latest oh, cool. one you put up, the love one. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't gotten all the way through it yet, but it's lots, man. Like I said, all, all, all of them are, are really interesting and you, you get, you know, you, like I said, your, your topics aren't commonly discussed, I guess I should say. So it's like sure. so interesting, you know, to hear, and I hope more people go to it. So that's one place to find you and, and to, to get a lot of your content. Again, there's Periscope, um, where again, you know, you're getting blasted by a million questions, but you seem <laughs> to answer as many of them as you can, you know, and, um, I've had mine answered, you know, before on there and that they can find you there and Twitter and it's underscore. Am I, am I saying it right? Un underscore anthropoid is that right yeah yeah you got it okay so yeah underscored anthropoid that's a-n-t-h-r-o-p-o-i-d um so definitely uh follow him and check him out there and is there anything else that i'm missing as far as uh for people ways for people to find you or anything like that no that's pretty much it man it, it was a pleasure absolutely again i appreciate it I, I hope to have you on here again you know again it seems like we're only scratching the surface but um i definitely uh enjoyed the conversation and uh thank you for coming on yeah, no problem. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it, Ian. You have a good day. You too. Thanks, man. All right. That was a great podcast with Ian McLaughlin. Um, again, guys, check him out on Periscope. Check out his podcast. Check him out on Twitter. Check him out everywhere. Um, for those who are interested, follow him on Twitter and Periscope. His username on there is underscore anthropoid. So that's underscore A N T. H-R-O-P-O-I-D. Very smart dude. Very cool dude. Um, his podcast, again, is Wired to be Weird. Um, he drops a lot of cool information on there. Um, you know, after you talk to him or after you listen to a podcast from him, whatever it may be, 
you just feel smarter. You know what I mean? The guy um, brings you legit information that, you know, you may not have found elsewhere or people aren't actively given to you. Um, you know, and I wanted to bring him on. And if you notice, I, I didn't do a foul or no foul on this episode. I'm not going to. I'm also not going to do a really long outro um, just because I kind of want, you know, you to take in the episode in itself and then kind of go out there and uh, educate yourself some more on neuroscience, on all these things that we talked about, um, brain trauma, um, you know, psychedelics and their effects on the brain and addiction and, and uh, you know, legalizing marijuana, things like this. I want you guys to kind of go out there and actively, um, you know, look up these things, gain a little more insight into them. You know, please go out there and support Ian and, and others like him in their... Uh, you know, their chase for um, more, you know, more education, more research into these things. We like, like he said, we don't want to lose that, um, that ability to research those things here. um, Because we are kind of behind the eight ball. uh, When it comes to a lot of these things, Um, we don't exactly, um, we aren't exactly leaders in those fields a lot of times, because, um, you know, we're limited sometimes here, um, compared to other people. Um, So we definitely want to go ahead and, you know, support those, those avenues that maybe, you know, get, you know, get ignored sometimes, not, not purposely, but just, uh, you know, they just kind of get ignored because we just don't, you know, they don't come up in everyday life sometimes. Um, so let's go ahead and, you know, continue to support those fields, um, continue to support those guys. Um, hit up Ian on Twitter, let him know, you know, how you like the show. Um, I'm sure everyone, like I said, um, feels a little smarter after that. Um, and guys, like he said, when it comes to, you know, putting your kids in sports, uh, especially ones that, you know, head trauma is likely um, when it comes to, you know, whether you think marijuana should be legalized, using psychedelics, all these kind of things. You know, like he said, he gave you his educated opinion on it. But at the end of the day, these things are all personal decisions. So, you know, you're going to have to make up your mind on that, on, you know, which way you go. But all I can ask you is that you please educate yourself as much as you can on these things before you make a decision. Um, people are very quick to just um, come to a decision in their mind and then that's it. You know, they just set on it. Nothing could change them. Um, and that's where they go with it. And, um, I, you know, I do these podcasts to kind of to kind of help people stop doing that as much. Um, we all fall victim to it. Um, but, uh, you know perception sometimes i know it's hard to change your perception or to change your mindset um, once you kind of get going on something but always whether whether you're ever going to change the perception to something else or agree with someone else's way of thinking um, the least you could do is educate yourself on their stance or educate yourself on their view um, so you can see where they're coming from and, and kind of um, gauge whether you know you feel you're totally right or if maybe you weren't um, being as open as you should have <clears throat> So um, on that note, um, I don't want to, you know, like I said, I don't want to make this outro very long. I don't want to go into anything else. Um, The next podcast, of course, there's a lot of uh, different things I'm going to go into. But on this one, I just want to kind of let this one settle in um, and kind of, uh, you know, let you guys take it from here and go out there and and do some more exploring on these topics. And like I said, please show love to Ian. Um, He's one of those guys who are you know, trying to get the stuff out to you guys. Um, not, not, not everyone in that field or in any field for that matter is actively trying to feed the people, um, with information on on what they do exactly. They're just kind of, you know, set in their way and they're trying to make things happen. But Ian is one of those who want to, who wants to share it 
and uh, wants to educate people on what he's doing. Um, so, you know, shout out to Ian for that. Um, that's pretty big, and, and he'll definitely be on here again. If you guys have any questions for Ian um, for a, another podcast that we do, please send them our way. Um, you know the email address, clockdodgers at gmail.com. You know the Twitter at clockdodgers. You know the Instagram at clockdodgers. Um, I try to keep it simple, right? <laughs> that way it's not difficult for anybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, continue to do that. Continue to support No Halftime if you haven't already. I don't know how you haven't, if that's even possible, but if you haven't already, download the app, use the promo code CLOCK, get $10 instantly in your account, and start having fun in daily fantasy sports with player versus player instead of team versus team. It's very cool. Um, also, uh, again, tell your friends and family, guys. Don't, don't hold these things to yourself. Don't be greedy. You know what I'm saying? Let your friends and family get involved. You know what I mean? Let them, let them jump into this. You'd be surprised how many people are, are looking for stuff like this, and, and you have it right there on your phone, and you might not be sharing it. So, you know, every day, just try to, you know, find one new person to kind of introduce these cool things to, because that's what makes Clock Dodgers, this podcast, clockdodgers.com, the website, everything so cool is because there's so much um, different people with cool information to share. Um, there's no one set you know, niche that we're trying to follow. We are, you know, a family and we're trying to connect with as many people as possible. So, you know, let's spread the word. Um, so no halftime.com, definitely um, check it out and download the app and use the promo code clock C L O C K. Um, I've seen a bunch of guys getting their, uh, no halftime shirts. So they're on their way. You know, if you emailed them, I promise you, you're getting it. You know, this is all real guys. So make sure you do that. <laughs> Other things that you can do, um, to support the podcast, um, hit up uh liquid spiral they're the band who um does the intro and outro music for the show um we're going to be getting some new music from them also so you'll be hearing some new stuff but if you can support them in any way um follow them on twitter go to their shows they're they're located in the orlando area of florida um so you can probably you know check them out locally as they perform out there but they have a new album coming out so let's support them on that um to support the podcast or to support the website, both in the same. Um, you on the on the website, there's an Amazon banner. If you click on that Amazon banner, anything you purchase after you click on that banner, as long as you haven't changed, you know, closed your web browser or whatever, anything you 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 buy after you click on that banner, actually a small percentage of that supports the podcast and the website. Um, so if you could do that and share that with your friends and family too, guys, nothing. It doesn't cost any extra. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't hurt you in any way. It's just you literally just do what you normally would do on Amazon, and at the same time you're helping support us. Um, there's also a donation button if you just want to donate, if it's just easier, you know, for you just to donate something. I, I really appreciate that. Um, also, shirts are for sale right now. The sale on that ends, I believe, in uh, a week or two. I think like a week. There's like a week left on the sale. So hurry up and get your shirts, guys. This is um, the last time I'm going to run the shirt sale for a while. So, um, you know, get one now. Uh, we already got a bunch of orders on there. We already had one run the first time and a bunch of people ordered then. And what I want to do is once you order the shirt and you get your shirt, take a picture of yourself in the shirt, send it to me. And I'm going to try to get everybody, you know, on the website in their shirt. So make sure you do that. Um, don't forget, I'm going to be doing a drawing for everyone who bought a shirt. So the, the, the first bunch who bought the shirts and the second bunch who bought the shirts, you're all in one big drawing for a gift card. Um, so, you know, 
guys, you got like seven days left. You know what I mean? So um, go on there and get yourself a clocked out of your shirt. I really appreciate that. Um, and again, guys, just keep listening, keep downloading, stay subscribed. Um, you know, we started the Game of Thrones podcast. If you're not really a fan of Game of Thrones, I understand if you haven't watched it yet or whatever the case is, um, you know, not listening to that because it's going to spoil it for you. Um, if you haven't, you know, been all the way caught up, but certainly still download the episode, still show love. Um, if you know anyone who, who does watch Game of Thrones, co-workers, friends, families, let them know. You know, we got a Game of Thrones podcast going. That's with me and Tony, um, a.k.a. Mr. Me Seeks, a.k.a. Mr. Geeky Bugle, a.k.a. I could do this all day. OK, so um, show him love. Um, we, we're working hard for you guys. He's got a lot of awesome articles out too. check out cloudouders.com. Um, I know sometimes you guys listen to the podcast and then you forget that the website is there. Um, lots of great articles from a lot of great dudes. Um, you guys are familiar with a lot of them. You're going to see their faces a lot. You hear them on the podcast. You're going to keep seeing articles from them. It just keeps getting bigger guys. You know what I mean? So, um, the numbers just keep going up. And you guys just continue to keep showing more and more love. Um, this thing isn't stopping, guys. So get on now. Um, if you see any haters, don't even worry about them. Don't pay them no, too, don't, don't pay them no mind, okay? We're too good for that. <laughs> but uh, let, let's, keep, uh, let's, keep, let's keep pushing, guys. You know what I mean? Let's keep dodging the clock. Uh, if you got to work, if you're working right now and you're listening to this, you're a hero, man. You're a hero. <laughs> you're doing the right thing. You know what I mean? You're getting your mindset right. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, we'll continue to support everybody, you know, that we that we work with and we deal with. And we, you know, encourage you to do the same. Anybody around you in your everyday life, you know, make somebody's day today. You know what I mean? Tell someone they look nice. Tell them they have a nice smile. Tell them, you know, they made your day today by doing something. You know, go out of your way to make people feel good, guys. Um, humble yourselves. Stay humble. Stay up. Stay woke. Stay great. Stay dodging. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to stop by ClockDodgers.com and follow us on Twitter.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.